this is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or a discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Well, again, we're going to be in Titus chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. You know, the gospel unites people, but sin divides. Ministry unites people, but sinful pa- uh, behavior divides people. If sin had never entered into the world, there would not be division. There would only be unity. But Paul challenges Titus because of the sin in the world. He challenges Titus to reject false teaching and reject false teachers. He's done this since the beginning of Titus, all right? So as we look at this book and we've been walking through it, we've seen this from the beginning. He said, set right what was undone. In the next two chapters uh, before him, what he essentially laid out was, here's how to have biblical leaders who believe what is right and do what is right, and here's how to have biblical church members who believe what is right and do what is right. And so Paul gives a challenge through Titus in how we should conduct ourselves within the church. But we must continue to be diligent as a church body in our culture today and with our current discussions today. We must continue to be diligent in knowing the gospel, discerning what is not the gospel, protecting the church from false gospels, and protecting the church from false teachers. Remember this. We do not create unity based on divisive things or worldly things. We only create unity based on the gospel because if we build up unity within our family, friends, and church on anything other than the gospel, then our unity in the church and family and friends will also fall when those personal preferences or desires are not made. Our, go- our unity is found in the gospel because the gospel is unwavering. Our God does not change. He is faithful to the end. He is, he is a true God, and that truth does not waver. And so if we build our unity on the truth of the gospel, then our, our unity will not waver. But if we build our unity on worldly things, then our unity will waver with the things of this world. So may we be united by the gospel within our own human diversity within your personal preferences, within your backgrounds, where you've come from and who you are as far as your, what you do and, and your family and your preferences for football and soccer and different teams that you love. All of those things are what make you up as a person. And those are fantastic. But those are not what unite us together. For they may differ, but the gospel does not. We believe the gospel as it is found in God's word. The main point this morning is from Titus 3, verses 9 through 11. It's that the gospel unites and emboldens while worldly desires divide and extinguish. When we began this series, my daughter had asked me a question like a couple nights before we began the series, and she asked the question, Daddy, why do we go to church? And she's here a lot. (laughs) I mean, she's at church a lot, and her daddy's at church a lot. And when they say, Daddy, are you going to work? That means also, Daddy, are you going to church? And so it's an important question that really necessitated a life-altering response. For me, it made a difference too. My father was a pastor. He still is a pastor. So it makes a difference when you say, I'm going to work, and it means I'm going to church, because my daughter needs to know that when when her daddy's going to church, it's making an impact, it's making a difference. I'm not just going there to make money. I'm not just coming here to, to do a job. I'm coming here to make an impact in the world. I'm doing what God's called me to do, despite if I have a job or not. He's called me to be a pastor, and I want my daughter to know that. And so here's what I told her. 
And here's what I told you. In a healthy church with healthy leadership under the power of the Spirit, the blood of Jesus, and the sovereignty of God, the church provides this. The greatest gathering in the world. The most encouraging and gracious people in the world. A place of true love. A place to find restoration. And a place of unity, not division. But boy, are we so good at making that bad. Aren't we so good at messing that up? We're humans. We have our own fleshly desires. We have our own sin in our life. There's false teachers and false teaching that come into the church and create a church that is nothing like that. A church that doesn't extend grace nor has truth. Some churches that has truth and no grace, and some churches that have grace and no truth. And all of a sudden we have churches that are causing division, quarrels, and issues within our community and within people. Brokenness, hurt, church hurt. And so Paul writes to Titus on how to avoid this. He says in verse 9, But avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the, about the law, because they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a divisive person after a first and second warning, for you know that such a person has gone astray and is sinning. He is self-condemned. Again, the main point is this. The gospel unites and emboldens while worldly desires divide and extinguish. Look at this. We're going to see these things that divide. Foolish debates, genealogies, and the quarrels and disputes about the law. Those are things that are unprofitable and worthless. Look at verse 8 with me for a second. Look at it. Verse 8. It says, at the end of it, it says, uh, be, uh, might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. All right, what has Titus 1, 2, and 3 been doing? It's telling us this. Uh, as leaders, believe the gospel and live it out. As members in the church, believe the gospel and live it out in your house. And as believers in the church, believe the gospel and live it out in your community. All of Titus has been about knowing the true gospel and believing it and living out that true gospel in your house and in your community as leaders and as members in your church. So when he says this is good and profitable for everyone, that unity is going to be good. Those good works, that good, uh, the good gospel, the gospel that is uh, uh, God-centered, uh, it's a Christ-centered, it's a ministry that's Christ-centered, it's missions that is Christ-centered. All those things bring about a unity that is good and profitable. And then he says, but avoid, avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law. Now, for them in Crete, there were different issues that they were facing. And for us today in America, there are different issues that we face. But I want to talk with you just briefly about what exactly that, uh, these, uh, these struggles they were dealing with meant. For instance, what, what was a foolish debate for them? Well, break those two words down. Let's bring them out and, and get this. Okay, debates are not necessarily wrong right? If, if it's a gospel-centered debate that is for the gospel, for ensuring that we believe those, those things about the gospel that are central and that make a difference on our salvation, we need to go to, 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 to battle for those things. Like, we need to have conversations about those things. Those are central to the gospel. If we're talking about, is Jesus God? That's something we need to discuss. If we're talking about, is the cross sufficient or do we have to do more? That's something we should discuss. Are our works enough? Or is it the works of Christ that save us? That's something worth talking about. We need to engage in those conversations. And we're going to stand firm on those things. The pastors of your church are going to stand firm on those things. We're not going to move to the right or to the left on those crucial theological points. And there's more. But these debates are foolish debates. 
they are based in two things. One, they're foolish, and two, it's the pride of the person speaking. See, these people, especially in uh, Crete that Paul was dealing with, and you can see in chapter 1, are dealing with a head knowledge that is driving them to divide from one another based on foolish arguments. Things that aren't important to the gospel, they're bringing up and using their pride in knowledge to fight one another and cause division. Second, you have genealogies. This is based on not the genealogy of Jesus, which some people were battling in Galatia, but this is a genealogy of themselves. This is essentially this. Well, because I'm from blank, I should have a high position in leadership. Or because I'm of this family, I should have a high position in leadership. Or because I do this in the community, I should have a high position, position in leadership. And so all of a sudden, they're appealing to their knowledge to have foolish debates, and then they're appealing to their identity to have a place in leadership within the church. And finally, they have quarrels and disputes about the law. These quarrels and disputes about the law were essentially saying they were either one of two things, holy enough or free enough. That was the debate, right? It was man, look at how much I follow the law, or look at how free I am within the law because of Christ. And so all of a sudden you have this battle going on of who is more holy. Now what's the problem with all of this? Look at what it says in the passage. It says, reject a divisive person after a first and second warning. Why? Because that person has gone astray to sinning and he is self-condemned. Why are they self-condemned? Pride of knowledge, pride of identity, Pride of holiness. That'll get you self-condemned real quick. Why? Because it puts salvation in you rather than in Jesus. It says, I have enough knowledge to be saved. I have enough identity or heritage because of where I've come. I should be in a certain position. It's positional salvation. It says, salvation's found in me, not in Christ. It says, uh, holiness. I am holy enough. Why would I need Jesus? And so they're all of a sudden, they're having all these debates, and you're going, look, your wisdom comes from the Lord. Your identity is found in that you are adopted as sons and daughters in Christ Jesus. Your holiness comes from the fact that Jesus lived the life that you could never live and you are being made holy because of him. And that's when we all of a sudden start humbling ourselves and going, I'm not going to fight you over this because we're on the same journey. We're in the same journey of holiness. We're in the same journey of wisdom and knowledge. We're in the same journey of our identity being found in Christ and not being found in the things of this world. And so we're not fighting and battling, but rather we're coming humbly together to say, hey, we need to walk through this life together. But when do we reject? When do we cause a division so that more division doesn't happen? Because rejection is dividing out. What are we, what are we willing to divide out from? We're willing to divide out from things that lead people towards their own self-condemnation as well. So we are willing to separate people out, to reject people who are, who are relying upon themselves or relying on something else other than Jesus. That's when we're willing to separate and say, you're going to cause division within the church and within certain areas in the church. You will cause division that we're not going to allow. Now, if it's division on like, man, I prefer... Uh, gray soft seats rather than burgundy soft seats. All right, we're good. As long as you're not going to make an uproar about it, right? I don't think that's worth challenging. I don't think that's worth battling about. But if we're talking about is Jesus the son of God, that's something we're going to engage in, right? And that's something we're separating out. If we're talking about did Jesus raise from the dead, some may say Jesus didn't actually raise from the dead. He just did good things and had good teachings, okay? If you believe that, 
I hope that you will come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, that he is the miraculous worker that he said he is, and that he raised from the dead just as he said he did, and just as Scripture says he did, and 2,000 years of, of work and discipleship and miraculous works within the church and the growth of the church and the sustainability of the Bible have presented that he did actually raise from the dead. When you come to that saving faith, I'd love to enter you into a spot in leadership in the church, but until then, you've got to stay away from the sheep. You've got to stay away from those who are trying to grow in their faith and learn about the gospel message of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ so that you don't deter them to their own self-salvation or national salvation or prosperity salvation, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, which is infiltrating our world and churches to say that we're not saved by Jesus, but we're saved by these other things. We're not going to allow that into a place where we believe that Jesus is the only way to have salvation through him to God, the Father. And so self-condemnation happens when you rely on oneself or rely on something other than Jesus Christ. And for them, you receive, as it says in verse 10, it says, reject a divisive person after a first and second warning. So we give first warning, second warning, and then rejection. Why? It's not rejection to, to harm. It's rejection for restoration. That's the beauty of the church. It's always about restoration. Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Timothy these are all about restoration, not rejection. The idea is stay away from the sheep and don't harm them, but I hope that you'll be restored and come back into the sheep. I hope that you'll come back into the church. We love you. We want you to be here, but stay away because we got to protect our people from you. And hopefully in God's grace, you'll come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ in that journey. But if you're in this morning, you're like, man, I just find myself to be a divisive person. I just find where I go, whether I am in my family group, my friend group, or my church group, I cause division. You're a person that causes division. See, Paul is not saying for us to be a people of division. Paul is calling for us to be a people protecting people from division. And sometimes you've got to reject or divide out someone in order to protect it from having further division. You see what I'm saying here? We've got to protect from further division happening within the church. And so we have to note down two important notes that R. Kent Hughes says, pastor for over 30 years. Uh, I've found him to be uh, wise and good in what he teaches. He says that Paul is speaking in Titus about gospel and ministry priorities, not simply personal preferences. We don't divide, we don't reject on personal preferences. We reject on serious gospel priorities and ministry priorities. Why can we take that from Titus? Because look back at Titus 1, 2, and 3. What is he teaching? Believe the true gospel, live it out. We'll stand firm on those things. We stand firm on the gospel, and we stand firm on what God has called us to do. We stand firm. So those are priorities, priorities worth calling one person out one time, calling a person out a second time, and then finally uh, a place of rejection in hopes that they'll be restored. Gospel ministry priorities. Second reason why we got to be careful here is division is necessary, but a love for division isn't unholy. Like I said, if you have a passion for division, you need to look at yourself and ask yourself, do you understand the gospel? If you have a passion for division, you might not truly understand the gospel, which is about unifying through the blood of Jesus Christ. The offering of Jesus Christ unifies us together. It transcends all things in this world. 
right? No matter what your background is, your financial uh, stability right now, no matter what you've done in your past, the, this current sin you struggle with, uh, no matter what language you talk uh, in, and no matter where you're from in the world, no matter what your uh, intelligence is like, it does not matter. The gospel brings us all together and declares us to be holy and righteous despite our previous state of being. Un, like It's just unreal that God would do this for us, a people who are so far from him, he has made his own. And so we are unified by the gospel. Let us not cause division with those who are around us simply because we are people who enjoy or uh, thrive off of gossip, off of confrontation, all these different things. Look, it's important. You've got to have confrontation. I do not. I'm just not my favorite thing to do, right? I don't just run to things and be like, man, I just really enjoy confrontation. I struggle with it. My heart starts pounding, taking deep breaths, (laughs) right? You know what I'm talking about? I struggle with it. But there are th- certain things that I'm going to go into conversation for. Gospel-centered things, ministry priorities, I'm going to go, and I'm not going to back down on what the gospel has said and what God's word has said. There's other things that I don't want to get into a fight with you about. I don't want to debate these things with you. I'll back down unless it's Georgia football or something like that. And gonna, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's the priority. But there are things that change in your life. If you create unity based on things in your life that should not have a unifying factor in your life or something stabilized in your life that should matter in your life to the point where that's how you build relationships with friends and with family and with church, and those things change, then your unity changes. You know what I'm saying? Like if your friendships are are bound by a certain particular like in your life and then that changes, I, I used to like, or I used to really not like pickles. Now I like pickles random fact. (laughs) But seriously, don't things change in your life? I don't like olives, and I hope I never like olives. But for some reason, I like pickles, right? So there's certain things that just change in your life, and that's a very insignificant thing. But what are those things in your life? Seriously, think about it right now. What is something in your life, in your family, so with your spouse, or with your brothers and sisters, or your parents, or, or, or your children, what are some things in your family you say, like, this is a hill I'm, I'm willing to die on. This cannot be changed. Don't, this is salvific, whatever for you. Maybe you say, this is something I love. Uh, maybe right now in your season of your life, you're like, hey, if you're not a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, I'm not going to be friends with you, you know, or I'm not a Ravens fan. I'm just saying, what is in your life right now with your spouse, with your friends, and with your church, that if there's not unity around it, there's not agreement upon it, you break. What are those things that you're willing to fight with one another about, to have discussions, difficult debates and confrontations about, that you're willing to go to those battles with because you love them and identify them by them so much? And be careful that they aren't foolish debates. Be careful that they aren't your prideful knowledge just wanting to be right rather than discussing something that is worth being right about. Be careful that it's not an appeal to where you've come from or what you do. You're simply wanting people to know what you do and how great you are or, or maybe how holy you are and righteous you are and what you've done. Be careful that you don't allow things in this world to become your identity. And then when those things change, or if those are based on pride and something you've accomplished, all of a sudden the gospel comes in and goes, well, I have no identity other than Jesus. And you fight Jesus about it. But Jesus, look at me. 
but what have I done? But look at my knowledge. But look at how holy I am. Look at all these different things. And you start telling the church, look at what I know. And you sway the church into these things that you know. And it's like, I know all these things and I want you to know them too. Look at where I've been. I've been in all these places. And I want you to know where I've been. So put me in a high level of leadership. All of these different things come in. And Paul's like to Titus, he's like, man, what is, what are you going to find, where are you going to find your unity in the church? The gospel, which puts us all on the equal playing field. As deacons and as pastors, it's like a step down. It's like stepping back and going, I'm now responsible for teaching you God's word, and if I don't do it well, I'm going to experience uh, judgment. As a deacon, it's a step into serving people. Like in the church, there's no way to step up, only step down. And yet we try to use so many different things to make our way up and then divide people out. And so I ask you this morning, find unity in the gospel. In the, from the 1950s to the early 1990s, the Southern Baptist Convention grew from like 5 or 6 million people to 16 million people. And I recognize that like only half of the people in this room are now Southern Baptists. It's a little bit different church. You might not even know that we're Southern Baptists. <laughs> Most people that I tell that we're Southern Baptists, after they go through it, they're like, you're like, oh, you know, you're around town, I know what happens. Around town, they're like, hey, where do you go to church? And then somebody goes, well, what denomination are they? And you're like, what was that? I don't know what you said. And I'm not kidding, like, my friends even do it. I'm like, bro, I'm your pastor. And they're like, you know, the problem is we got to look back and we got to go, what happened? like the fastest growing Protestant evangelical denom- denomination in America. Five or six million to 16 million people in about 40 or 50 years. And, then, and in the same time frame, a thing called the conservative resurgence happened. Y'all, we have a clear and good gospel-centered theology. We have awesome gospel-centered training. I've been to our, I've been to our uh, Southern Baptist College, Southern Baptist Seminary for Masters, and a Southern Baptist Seminary for my doctor. And in no way do I want to hurt or bash the Southern Baptist Convention. I don't want in any way what I say online or in this place to do anything to cause pain to the Southern Baptist Convention. But I do want to at least ask the question, what happened? Because in the 1990s to 2000s, right in the middle of that time frame, something happened that 7% of the, of the Protestant evangelicals in America, but specifically Southern Baptists, started to decline and, and since then have continued. It looks like this. I'm not even joking. It looks like this. Baptisms were soaring. Church growth was soaring. And then all of a sudden it dips. And now here's where we are. Let me give you a current place at where we are. I'm going to encourage you big time. You're going to be like, Ooh, I, I love being part of Westminster Baptist Church. They're Southern Baptists. They're rocking. No. Uh, let me tell you where we are right now. 90% of churches in the Southern Baptist Convention are less than 100 people and will be dead or dying within the next 5 to 10 years. 70% of Southern Baptist churches have been on decline, are already headed to death or dying as a church. We have thousands of churches every year in the Southern Baptist Convention dying. Let me tell you this one statistic. This man, this ought to wreck you. There are more people who identify uh, with Mormonism, which believes that Jesus is not God. There are more people who identify, hear this again, as believing that Jesus is not God through, and, and as a Mormon than are Southern Baptists today. Southern Bab- the Southern Baptist Convention was the largest Protestant denomination in America. 
since the Methodists in the early 1900s. Like it switched. And we, we've got to reckon with this. We've got to ask ourselves, what did we do? And if you look at the, the mid-1990s to the early 2000s, you know what happened? And you all, you all know, I'm like even hesitant to say it, but I already said it in the 8 o'clock service, so I'm just going to say it, right? It was worship wars. Some of you are out there like, what in the world is this? Worship wars. <laughs> this sounds pretty bad. Yeah, well, it kind of was. It was uh, traditional versus contemporary. It was the rock band versus the old school, or whatever you want to say. It was like all this infighting within the, within the church and all this crazy stuff. Look, we have a traditional service and a contemporary service. I love both, man. I was worshiping this morning with the traditional service. I was worshiping today with contemporary service. I'm not, I don't care about what the worship style is. I care about worshiping King Jesus, and I hope you do too. If we have hymns in here, I hope you'll be in here, right? But here's my point. We let something that has very little gospel-centered theology, gospel-centered missions, gospel-centered ministry, has very little impact to that. We let that cause such a disruption in the Southern Baptist Convention that we continue to see a decline now. Churches started dying. Churches started splitting. Pastors were fired based on what they preferred or what they started. And then other pastors were hired based on simply what they wanted to initiate in that church. Like the Southern Baptist Convention started to split just simply based on music. You're like, what? And now we're feeling the ramifications of that because people, and I'm not kidding, at the 8 o'clock service, somebody comes to me after the service, and she says this. She goes, Pastor Matt, you were, you were, you were literally talking to me. This is my first few weeks here, and I've, I've not come to this church for years after people have been inviting me to this church simply because it's Southern Baptist. A lot of my friends, some of them who are not sitting here today, would not come to this church because it's Southern Baptist. And you've got to ask the question, what did we do to mess this up? This used to be something that drew people in, and now it's something that pushes people out. And you're going, what in the world did we do? How did we lose this gospel-centered ministry, mission, and theology? And if it was because of music, if it was because of pews and now seats, if it's because of lights rather than flowers, if it's because we removed flags, the Christian flag, if it's because of all of those different things, then we have severely missed our calling. I hope, man, I hope, like I've, I've told my father-in-law this, my wife's dad, whom I love and, and support greatly in ministry, and think does a phenomenal job and transitioned to church from traditional to contemporary and uh, did it with grace. Uh, I tell him, I've told him before, like, I wonder what it would be like in a, in a contemporary church to come in and just like take, this is my skinny pulpit over there. I got that big wide one. You know, like you get that big one you can like bang on. <laughs> uh, but you take away the skinny pulpit and bring back the big one. You take away the electric guitar, Paul, and you take away the drums, Chris, and, and you take away the bass, and you take away all these stuff and the keyboard, and you take away the projector, and you take away the camera so we can't watch online, and you take away the chairs so you got to stand or sit on the floor. You take away the heat, which it almost was gone to this week anyways. Uh, you take away all that stuff, and you ask the question, would you still be here? Seriously, because what we have to do is we have to be careful that we actually don't build up another hill. It's like, I'm, I'm going to die on this hill. Don't you take away my electric guitar. Don't you take away my keyboard. Don't you take away my drum. And you're like, I like that. I like the hill song. I like the Beth, like I like the Phil Wickham. I get it. It's, it's fun and enjoyable, but it's not worth dying for. And so in the church, we've got to be, be careful we don't build up new things. So ask yourself this question today, this morning. What have you built up in your marriage that's not gospel-centered? 
You're like, if my wife isn't like this, or if my husband isn't like this, then there's no way we could be together. You're like, is that gospel-centered? Like, what, what about in your friendships? If marriages are so fickle, like if marriages are so fickle that little things can deviate, like we got to ask ourselves the question, when we were married, when we were pronounced husband and wife, and we were brought together, were we really brought together by the blood of Jesus Christ to declare the gospel through our marriage? Or are we going to allow something so fickle to cause us to separation and division? No. The gospel has united us together to proclaim it throughout the world. And that what God has brought together in these beautiful moments, we're not going to let divide by simple things. Now, there are major things. There are major impacts. In the church, there's major things. But ask yourself this question. What is, it, what is it in your marriage that has brought you together? What is it in your friendships that has brought you together that is holding you together? What is it in your church that is holding you together? Like Those are the things that are going to, in the next 10, 20, 30 years into your life, they're going to make a huge impact on who's around you. What you build today is going to greatly impact who you're with in 10 years. What church you're worshiping at, what your friends look like, and what your family looks like. So today, I challenge you, as Paul challenged Titus, avoid foolish debates. Avoid genealogies. Avoid quarrels. And unite yourself around the gospel message of Jesus Christ and the ministry that he has called you to. It's a unity that will never end. Literally into eternity, we will be united about that. And brothers and sisters, I will forever be your brother. You will forever be my brothers and sisters because of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We are united. And we will not be divided by things that come in here to divide us. So my challenge to you this morning stands with these gospel responses. Set your mind on Jesus. Set your mind on Jesus Christ and his gospel. There are other gospels in this world that you can focus on, other things that you might believe are going to bring you salvation or those around you salvation, but they won't. They will only lead to self-condemnation and lead others to condemnation as well. So set your minds on Christ and his gospel. The gospel will humble us to have an identity that's found in him and unite us around being brothers and sisters with no other pride and no other status uniting us. Second, seek first the kingdom of God. Here's a challenge Jesus gives us in, Matthew, in the book of Matthew. He said, it says for us to seek first the kingdom of God. And so I ask you, what does it look like to seek first the kingdom of God in your relationships, in your friendships, in your marriage, and in your uh, church? What does it look like? Well, I would, I would uh, encourage you to do this. Seek first to understand biblical truth. Because if, if it's not founded on biblical truth, is it worth fighting? It may differ a little bit. There's diversity around us. There should be. There's good diversity. In fact, you have different spiritual gifts than I do. Our fruit's the same, but our gifts are different. So we have diversity within the church, but we have unity in the gospel. So find the biblical truth that is worth dying on. Second, seek first to understand the situation. When we understand biblical truth and understand the situation rightly, we can apply that biblical truth with biblical grace to the situation and move forward with unity. 
So understand biblical truth, understand the situation, and extend grace and truth within the situation. A biblical grace and a biblical truth within the situation that leads to unity for the church, for your family, and for your friendships. And finally, my challenge for you is this, to identify the hills to die on. It's hard to like establish your feet in friendships and establish your feet in the church and establish your feet in a marriage. And like for the long term, it's hard to establish yourself if you don't know what you're establishing it in. It's like, what, are, what am I really willing to stand for? We got weak legs if we don't know what our feet are standing in, right? It's like you got to know what you're standing for. And so ask yourself, what, what are those things that, that, uh, that, that are about choosing God, like having faith in God things? Um, whether you choose a, a God of a different religion or whether you choose a God of this world uh, or whether you choose the God named Yahweh uh, and Jesus Christ, the Son and the Spirit, all is one. What, what God are you choosing? And, and those are the heels. Those are those tier one things that like, we can't debate and we can't allow to waver in our lives. Again, as I said before, if somebody comes up to you and says, uh, I don't believe in Jesus is God, that's something worth engaging, something worth debating up over, right? If somebody comes up to you and says, man, I really prefer a church that has contemporary music, that might not be something worth debating. I really prefer a church that has life groups. That's not something worth debating. I don't care if you call them life groups, grow groups, Bible studies, care groups, Sunday schools, or whatever group you want to call them. It doesn't matter. What matters, or home groups, is what happens inside of it. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter what the name is. It matters what's happening within it. Is there care? Is there biblical instruction? Salvation in Jesus Christ alone? Are you pointing them to the gospel and pointing them to God's word that they might grow up through what Christ is doing in them and not what you are doing in them? Is discipleship taking place in that group? That's the question. I don't care what you call it. These are hills. Do we have hills worth dying on? And then when do we do tier two things? Are these things about choosing a church? Like, man, I, well, I... I believe in the gospel. We believe in the gospel. We go to different churches because we have a little bit different idea of this particular passage in Scripture. I don't believe it's going to change your salvation, but we differ on, on, on what it says. Maybe like uh, baptism. We believe in immersion here at uh, Westminster Baptist Church. So we fully immerse people uh, because we believe Jesus was fully immersed and we believe in the word baptizo means to dip into water and bring out of water uh, fully. And just as Romans 6 would say too. Now that's what we believe, but I'm not going to tell you that you're not saved if you uh, have been sprinkled or something like that. I think the right response to salvation is baptism, and the right baptism is through immersion, but it's not going to dictate whether or not you're saved. The guy on the cross didn't get baptized. If you're not in a position where you can be baptized, it's not going to dictate your salvation, but it is important for you to be baptized. And so we all of a sudden go, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go to this church, and I'm going to go to this church, but we're all in the kingdom of God. We just have different local expressions of that kingdom of God. And finally, we have tier three things. These are things we differ upon that should not make a difference. This is, everybody in this room should have differences, right? You should be a little bit different. That's fine. But we're united around the gospel. So what you prefer with the music or who your favorite band is and artist is or who you want to sing, which particular song even up here, or which drummer you like best. You don't have to say me. Uh, it's okay. I'm kidding. I love you, dude. I'm like the worst of the worst. I told my wife the other day, don't let me back there ever again. Anyways, uh, I'm just joking. But those are things that cannot allow us to be divided. Right? And so my challenge to you as, as the band comes is as Paul would challenge Titus. Find those, that good theology, gospel-centered theology, and those good works, gospel-centered ministry and missions. 
Find those good gospel-centered theology, mission, and works, and get behind it. Give to it. Your time, your talents, and your treasure, give everything you have to those things. Get behind it and go. Don't divide. Don't preach a, a false teaching, and don't be a false teacher. Just get behind it and go. In your marriage, in your friendships, and in your church, get behind it and go. So uh, I'll... I'll, uh, I'll end with this for you guys. This is a, a personal story from my own experience in life. I'm a, I, I get to teach classes for seminary now for, um, uh, for Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, Southern Baptist Seminary. I get to teach master's students. It's a wonderful opportunity. Um, one of them is not a Southern Baptist. They just I get to invest in them deeply, and I love it. I absolutely love being able to invest in him. So he's come a couple times to our church just to pop in, say hey, and see us. Uh, he preaches at another church here. And um, he saw, he's seen this, and I've seen this, and I experienced this one time. We had a service in here where we invited the whole church to come together. And we had uh, baptisms, and we had children's dedication. There was tons of people here who heard the gospel, who've never heard the gospel before, and haven't been in an evangelical church that preaches Jesus Christ. One of the first things I heard when I was walking out was, uh, was uh, like frustration and anger towards the style of music that was played. And it hurt my heart. People heard the gospel for the first time. Baptism of, I think, eight people in a church that for 10 years had two baptisms, I think it was. We're baptizing people. We're preaching the gospel, and babies are being dedicated to be raised up and discipled in the Lord. And we're worried about music. I'm not telling you you are. I'm not telling you the person beside you is. But here's what I am asking you. Is there something you're building up that is not gospel-centered? if there is, man, put it at the feet of the cross. Show Jesus what it looks like for you humbly to give him the things that you once brought into your life for self-condemnation because you thought it was salvation, but it's not. Give them over to the Lord and ask him to save you because he alone is our savior. Let me pray for you. God, I ask that you would continue to restore our hearts, save us from ourselves and from our own Uh, methods and ideas upon how we could save ourselves with the prosperity gospel and gospel of nationalism and the gospel of self, trying to find ourselves within this world rather than find you, calling upon a nation to save us rather than calling upon you, calling upon money, calling upon feelings, calling upon all the things in this world to save us rather than you. I pray that throughout Titus, God, you've clarified the gospel in this church. You've clarified what biblical leadership should do and looks like. You've clarified what biblical members should do and what they believe in. And I pray, Father, throughout all of this, you would help us to understand more clearly what we should be centered upon, what we should believe and stand firm on, what those tier one things are that we will not waver from. Help us to understand, Father, what our marriages should look like in unity, what our friendships should look like in unity, and what our church should look like in unity. And I pray, God, that you would infiltrate every area of our people's lives to unify them based on nothing other than your son's death on the cross, bringing us together, once sinners, now saints, once divided by our nationality and no longer. 
by our tongues, but no longer. By our actions, but no longer. For now we are yours, your sons and daughters, unified by you. So help us to stand in that unity this morning, casting aside everything at the foot of the cross that we once clinged upon as our personal preferences and our own salvation. So God, we trust you and we need you and we love you. We believe your gospel is the only way to you, with you, forever. We proclaim it. Pray this through the power of your spirit and the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Amen, church. Well, thank you for being here again this morning. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.